Hi, David. We last spoke just after the Fed meeting on the 22nd of September and bond yields and commodity prices have moved sharply higher while equities have been choppy. What's the theme gripping global financial markets? Hi, Alex. Um, I I mean, I'd add to your summary that the US dollar is also higher by uh, more than 2% over the last month. But you're right that the big moves have been in energy prices. Um, Oil was up about 10% to its highest level since 2014. And of course, um, government bond yields, which are back to their kind of mid-year levels. Um, When we last talked you know, we discussed a, a wall of worry facing markets, and that was you know, China slowdown, uh, rising gas prices in Europe, the US debt ceiling. Um, the debt ceiling, at least, has been kicked down the road to December. But markets are now contending with the reality that global monetary policies are slowly but surely going to be tightened, even as growth forecasts are being revised down. And, you know, I think that has meant that a sort of stagflation narrative has taken hold of rising inflation, slowing growth, made worse by higher um, energy prices that are a negative supply shock to the global economy. So market expectations for rate hikes have been brought forward, particularly for the Fed. Uh, that's pushed up uh, bond yields. And it's become you know, more evident, I think, that higher inflation is not as transitory as many believe. So you know, I think investors are you know, positioning to some extent for higher bond yields, higher commodity prices, um, a stronger dollar. Um, there does seem to be a number of uh, market participants who are expecting some kind of equity market um, correction. All of that being said, and, and particularly in terms of the equity market outlook, I think that the forthcoming corporate earnings season is going to be very important for investors to you know, assess the extent that rising input prices are eroding corporate profit margins. I know that we've been in the higher for longer inflation camp for some time. Are we also in the stagflation camp? Well, yes and no. Um, And and that's not really a very helpful answer. So let me um, clarify. I mean, we do think that there are stagflation risks around the UK because it is especially vulnerable to higher gas prices. Um, Supply and labour shortages are more acute in part because of um, Brexit. And both fiscal and monetary policies are set to be tightened I think much more aggressively than we're anticipating um, elsewhere. But we're certainly not in the stagflation camp when it comes to the US, when it comes to Europe and, and, and the global uh, economy. Um, the US economy you know, is, is, is set to slow um, from around about 6% growth this year to around about 4.5% next year. So that's still well above trend. It's a very far away from uh, recession and stagflation. Europe is more exposed to higher uh, gas prices and to the slowdown in China, but fiscal policy remains relatively loose. I think there's still some room for Europe to catch up in terms of the sort of reopening. And the ECB is a long way from hiking rates and it's going to keep on buying uh, bonds in size through next year. I I mean, for Asia and for emerging markets, I think the outlook is, is, is more mixed um, central banks are already in a hiking cycle. Uh, I mean, the Brazilian central banks already raised interest rates five times this year. But with higher commodity prices, I think a fading of COVID constraints as vaccines are distributed, again, should support recovery through um, 2022. So, you know, I think 2022 is going to be characterised by 
above trend growth, but also above target inflation. Um, that's not stagflation, but clearly the mix of growth and inflation is shifting and it's becoming um, somewhat less sort of market friendly. Why has inflation proved higher and stickier than many expected? Um, I mean, I think there's been, you know, several drivers of higher inflation, you know, during the recovery from the pandemic induced recession, um, including ongoing supply disruptions related to um, COVID. I, th I think if we step back from the sort of idiosyncratic supply stories, I think the, 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 the simple explanation is that recovery in demand is outstripping the recovery in supply. And I mean, that sounds a bit like a tautology, but, but I think it does highlight a key difference with stagflation. Stagflation occurs when you have a negative supply shock that actually reduces um, output, reduces supply uh, relative demand, and, and hence you've got a contracting economy and uh, rising uh, uh, prices. Um, inflation pressures today are not because supply is declining. I mean, actually, output is, is, is rising, but it's that supply is struggling to keep up with the pace of the recovery in demand and also the shifts in demand that we've seen um, during the course of this uh, recovery. Um, I think it's also the case that, you know, a legacy of the pandemic and the response to it is that it has created supply and demand mismatches, whether that be, you know, sort of shipping containers stuck in the wrong place. Uh, we saw collapsing commodity prices, um, but now uh, obviously rebounding. We see worker shortages in certain sectors, even though unemployment is still higher than it was prior to um, the pandemic. And, you know, and I think that reflects the sort of uneven and unusual nature of not only the COVID recession, but also the recovery. Um, you know, services were the hardest hit sector, um, while demand for durable goods has rebounded uh, very quickly. And, and actually, services are still lagging behind that rebound in demand for consumer du durables, especially from the world's biggest consumer, the US. So in the US, durable goods spending is more than 20% above its pre-pandemic level, while the sort of employment intensive services such as leisure, hospitality, travel, uh, actually even health and education, remain below pre-pandemic levels and, and spending remains uh, pre-pandemic levels in, in those sectors. But won't all of these mismatches eventually be resolved and higher inflation will be transitory? Um, I mean, I think uh, the word uh, event eventually is kind of doing quite a lot of work um, in that question. Um, I mean, some of, some of the supply demand mismatches will resolve themselves. So it's clearly taking much longer than I think many had um, predicted. But I think there's also some more permanent or persistent shifts in behaviour after the pandemic that you know, will have an ongoing um, impact. And I think imply that wage and price pressures will be greater for a given level of unemployment than was the case prior to the pandemic. Um, there was actually an interesting working paper by the European Central Bank that was based on a survey of seven and a half thousand households across Europe and concluded that the COVID-19 experience had altered um, uh, consumer habits uh, potentially on you know permanently um, so we, we we know about this sort of shift to online shopping that was already underway but has obviously been reinforced by the um, pandemic but the ECB survey also found that many households reported the realization that they 
you know, they were not missing it um, as a reason for cutting back spending on going to restaurants, to bars, uh, you know, tourism, other um, services. So uh, it does seem to have resulted in some shift of um, preferences. And along with a sort of shift towards working from home, what we also see is that, you know, demand for those kinds of services has also shifted away from city centres to suburban and, and, and rural areas. So we have you know, quite a lot of businesses and workers who are kind of in the wrong sectors and in the wrong um, place. I mean, if, if I kind of go back to look at inflation from a sort of top-down macro lens, I think the recent rise in energy and food prices will continue to drive headline inflation higher. It will uh, put you know, indirect upward pressure on um, core inflation into next year as well. And, you know, when we look at the most recent September um, consumer price index print for the US, although it's broadly in line with expectations, it was, it was a little bit higher uh, in terms of month on month change. I think what it also did show though, was a broadening of inflation pressures. And, and, and one of those sources of inflation pressures in the US has been these, you know, surge in US house prices. And there is now starting to feed through to higher shelter costs that account for about a third of the US CPI index. And I think we're also seeing some signs that higher wages are being passed through to um, higher uh, prices. So, and, and that kind of brings us back again to the forthcoming um, earnings season to sort of see how companies are um, responding to higher input prices um, and, and the extent to which they are to pass that on to consumers. So what are the market implications of higher for longer inflation? Um, well, I mean, we actually sort of published a note back in May on, you know, higher inflation and, and, and some of the sort of implications of, of that. And it does, of course, depend on, you know, how high inflation gets and, and, and for how long. I, I think what is becoming evident, and, and this brings us back to the sort of beginning of our discussion, Alex, when we're talking about the sort of themes uh, currently within the market, I think what's becoming evident now is that the Fed and um, you know, a number of other central banks are increasingly uncomfortable with simply dismissing higher inflation as uh, transitory. And the reason for this is that the longer inflation is significantly above target, the greater the risk that their you know, inflation fighting credentials are eroded and inflation expectations become unanchored. Um, actually, in the, in, in the latest IMF World Economic Outlook, they found that if expectations for future inflation were simply determined by inflation to today, um, then annual inflation in the advanced economies would actually exceed 10% next year and would actually stay high and be very volatile. Now, now the IMF described this as an extreme scenario because over the last you know, couple of decades, inflation expectations have not moved that much in response to current inflation, but that's been because of the credibility of central bank inflation targets that, that businesses and consumers and uh, workers have you know, learned that, you know, if central banks are keeping inflation under control uh, within a range around um, their inflation um, target. But I think, you know, a number of central bankers are getting worried that if they're not at least seen to react to higher inflation by scaling back what, what was, after all, extraordinary monetary uh, accommodation and liquidity that was put in place at the, you know, in response to the pandemic, then, then that credibility will be eroded. 
And I think it's interesting when you look to, for example, uh, you know, emerging markets and emerging markets, you know, central banks, you know, have you know, less credibility than their developed market counterparts when it comes to inflation. And for that reason, you know, they've been less willing to, if you like, take risk and they've already started to uh, raise um, interest rates. I think the Fed, therefore, is you know, going to go ahead with tapering its $120 billion bond buying program um, next month. It's been you know, very well flagged. I don't think that should be um, a, a surprise. Uh, you know, Bank of England is getting ready to raise interest rates sooner rather than later. Uh, the market's even pricing the possibility of a Bank of England rate hike in December. Um, I think the real standout at the moment is actually the European Central Bank. Uh, the ECB's chief economist in a recent speech said a one-off shift higher in wages um, in response to higher inflation would not imply a trend shift in underlying inflation and that energy price shock would actually put downward pressure on um, underlying inflation, even though the, the headline uh, went up. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, the ECB is kind of, at least some on the ECB are, are trying to kind of push back against this. Um, we need to start responding to this um, higher in, in inflation. I think for investors, the implication is that we are at the start of a global tightening cycle for monetary policy. I think if inflation does continue to spike to the upside, I think the Fed and other central banks will feel compelled to you know, raise rates sooner and potentially by more than is currently priced in the market. And I think that realisation is already playing out at the short end of uh, government bond curves. Second, I, mean, I do think there's going to be a, a divergence between the ECB and other major um, central banks. Um, the, the market has actually started to price the possibility of an ECB rate hike by mid-2013. But you know, as I've alluded to, you know, I think the ECB is much less concerned about inflation expectations becoming unanchored. And, and to some extent, I can understand that because you know, the ECB, uh, you know, inflation has been substantially below its target for, for uh, uh, several years. But I think this sort of diversion between the ECB, the Fed, other central banks is going to play out in terms of more volatility in foreign exchange markets. Um, I think it creates some interesting relative value opportunities across um, fixed income. Um, I think you know, rising bond yields and rate expectations you know, typically is associated um, with lower price earnings ratios. So you know, could put some pressure on um, equity market valuations, um, especially if higher bond yields are being driven primarily by rising inflation rather than um, you know more optimism around growth and, and, and the earnings outlook um, but but I, I do think that you know this what this sort of highlights is um, that you know the pandemic and the policy response to it and the changes that it has sort of created or accelerated is the kind of final nail in the coffin of the great moderation era of low inflation low growth, low rates, low macro volatility. I mean, I, th I think governments have a taste for greater intervention in our economic and social lives. I think there's a much greater focus on sort of resilience and, and sort of national rather than lowest cost global supply chains on, on, on tackling inequalities, which I think, you know, will favour labour over capital. You know, we've discussed, you know, before about the impact of climate change and decarbonisation which implies, I think, you know, higher energy prices and more volatility. So, 
you know, I'm certainly not in the camp. I, I mean, I'm not believing that we're, you know, heading back to the sort of stagflation boom and bust of the 1970s. But I do think investors are entering an environment of greater uncertainty and more volatility, you know, in inflation, in growth than they've become accustomed to, you know, over the last uh, uh, decade or more. Thanks for your time today, David, and speak with you soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.